Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, episode number 15. The elation of what would be a touchdown pass to Jesse James, followed by the hope that even though we didn't score in that play, we'd still have time and downs to at least come away with a field goal to tie the game, was brought to a gut-wrenching finality in that last intercepted pass. The Steelers drop a heartbreaker to the Patriots, 27-24. to this is Tom at Washington, the Washington, D.C. Outpost. I'm joined by Nick, who's single-handedly holding down the fort at our southern outpost in Houston. Thanks for joining us this week, albeit for what feels like a funeral. Yeah, not a happy time here. I, the anticipation for this game has been building for the better part of a year, ever since that championship game. And that was about as crushing a loss as you could possibly experience. It's actually usually kind of kind of a bummer for us that we have to record these on Monday night. Our schedule just kind of dictates that. And so we're a little bit after the first wave of podcasts and news cycles and stuff like that when we put the podcast out. But one of the positives is it gives us kind of a chance to put a different spin on it or take a look at it when you're more removed from the situation. I am very glad for that today because this morning I was not in the emotional state where I would be ready to accept what happened and actually talk about this in a logical way without sobbing or yelling or breaking something. So I think we've had enough time to digest it. You you know about the seven stages of mourning, right? Well, I don't know if I can name them all off the top of my head, but I went through all of them today. Like that's for sure. Okay. We're at acceptance now. Yeah. Misery will never pass. We will hold this in our hearts forever, but let's hope we get another shot at them. There's a lot of good stuff here. And uh, some sad stuff as well. Let's get into it. So we want to do a little bit of a different order this time just because this game had more narratives than you could possibly think of. So like I was talking about before, this is probably the most hyped Steelers regular season game I can remember. We've been thinking about it ever since the AFC Championship. You get embarrassed by this team. You know that you got the Steelers returning a super talented team. You're getting Martavis Bryant back. You're getting all these killer bees, all this continuity. Defense is coming together. There's a Super Bowl window, but no matter what, you can't seem to get past this behemoth. So, so much hype for this. The amazing moment of them bringing out Ryan Shazier on the Jumbotron at the beginning. Apparently, it was so loud that even Tom Brady had to turn around and see what the heck was happening when he was trying to snap the ball. So, tons of hype. It was a brilliant back-and-forth game. Incredible. I, I don't know about you, but that went by so fast to me. It kind of reminded me of the Super Bowls. We turn around and you wonder, like, where the hell is the time gone? Well, it's interesting. When I rewatched the defense, Brady rarely left the play clock get below 10. I mean, he turned around the plays quickly. Yeah, I think that it was probably just more of a mental a mental thing, knowing that every possession counted so much. Both teams were possessing the ball like seven, eight minutes at a time. You're only getting a couple pos- – the Steelers had nine possessions total, I believe. So the Patriots had about the same. Now, it was an incredible game. The Steelers – this was a different Steelers team playing against the Patriots. This was not the same old story, despite what people might want to say about the final score and the final result. Yes, the Steelers led the entire time until the Patriots scored with one minute re- remaining on the clock. 
So it was just back and forth scoring the entire game. The Patriots came out, scored first. Steelers put together a beautiful drive, converting a bunch of third downs, scored a nice touchdown. It was just a great battle back and forth the entire time. Brady and Roethlisberger were both lights out the whole game. But the Steelers were really in control. And the defense was doing enough to keep the Patriots from scoring the 80 points we predicted. So you knew you had a chance. Now, Antonio Brown, of course, goes down early in the first half because it wouldn't be a Steelers-Patriots game unless we lost one of the Killer Bees. As in the championship game, Le'Veon goes down in the first quarter. And then the game before that, Ben goes down the game before we play them. So it wouldn't be a matchup uh, with all three Killer Bees. So hopefully we have that to look forward to, right, in the future. We still have hope that we can beat them because if that happens. It's turn next time. Wow. Please no. Please. That was just egregious. Sorry, what are you just doing? extrapolating guess, from your theory. You might as well. You, damn it. Now he's been integrated. There, he's not safe. Nobody's safe anymore. No, they are. We just have to embrace this thing. There's no curse. The steel men will emerge. Okay, so great back and forth game the entire time until the Steelers kind of fail to run out the clock. They get the ball with around uh, three to five minutes left, and they – Basically turn it turn it over. I have to punt the ball, whatever. And then we had the distinct privilege, I say this sarcastically, of experiencing what I would like to call the Gronk drive, where they basically threw a 26-yard pass to Gronk, a 30-yard pass to Gronk, a 15-yard pass to Gronk, and then ran it in for a touchdown. And then, oh yeah, threw a fade to Gronk for the two-point conversion. At this point. I know all of you have seen the game, but there's about 50 seconds left. Steelers have one timeout. They get the ball on their own 18-yard line, and immediately Ben hits Juju for a 69-yard gain. And this stadium is on the verge of Glass. violent earthquake. Yeah, it could have the, – the structural integrity was being questioned at this time. And then on the very – they call a timeout, the last timeout in the very next play – that's when Ben throws the touchdown pass to Jesse James, which gets overturned, blah, blah, blah. Interception in the end zone off of some really unorganized offense, some weird hurry-up sort of fake spike play hybrid. Um, and then the Steelers lose in, in horrible fashion. So here's a question that everybody wants to know. Do you think that the Steelers were robbed or do you think that the Steelers lost the game? Well, we spent the last 24 hours mulling in addition to our morning about this very play. And we have, I think we have different perspectives on um, the overturned touchdown. Yeah, so he, I have a couple concrete thoughts because, like I said before, emotionally I cannot sort through my thoughts. I think I've come to a conclusion now. So here it is. Number one, and this is what most of America is saying, and I, I got to agree. That rule, the catch rule, where you have to survive the catch through the end zone, through the ground, it is an ocean of crap. It is a skid mark on the underpants of American society. It is so dumb, that rule. Uh, that's the overwhelming sentiment across the country, regardless of fandom, that that play was a robbery. Whether it was because the referees made the right or wrong call or because the rule is a dumb rule, it's a, it's a robbery. This isn't the first time that this has happened. You go back to the Des Bryant catch, of course. There's been some other ones. The Jets, Austin Safarian Jenkins against the Patriots earlier this year. That's a situation where what a clanky, weird way to end a game on some stupid technicality where we all know the rule is dumb. It conflicts with other rules where when you're a runner with the ball, you you cross the plane and you're out. It's an, it's an automatic touchdown, this or that or whatever. It's just – I think Peter King or somebody else said a quote about it. Like when you use common sense and the entire nation repeatedly feels that a play like that should be a touchdown, you should change the rule, man. So it's a bad rule and it, it kind of spoils the end of a classic game. Now, the second thing is there is also an overwhelming sentiment that the call on the field was correct. Just the rule sucks, kind of what we're saying. I don't even know if you can say that. Because they ruled it a touchdown on the field. And then the replay, you can see the ball moving around. And you can see part of the ball, like the tip of the ball, touch the ground. But the rule is an incomplete pass if the ball touches the ground. That's not a rule at all. It's if you lose possession. And there isn't an angle that shows conclusively 
oh, there it is. His hand's not under there. You could reasonably think, oh, his hand might not be under there, but but it's not conclusive. And you need to have inconclusive evidence to turn over a ruling on the field. They didn't have that. So bad call. That even if the rule is bad. The well, last thing I'll say about it before tossing it over to you. Sorry, this this has to get out. This is an exorcism for Hurt yourself. The last thing I would say about that is did the Steelers get robbed and deserve to win this game? Yes, I believe so. Now, at the same time, did the Steelers have their chances to put this thing away? They squandered those chances and therefore also deserve to lose this game? I think the answer to that is yes as well. So it's not the reason why they lost. The offense didn't put it away when they could have. The defense got gashed in the most important part of the game, but it's a brutal way to lose it, and, and I, I think you'd be right either way you look at it. Well, I'm going to disagree because I don't think, well, a game certainly isn't a coin flip. It's not binary. The game is a whole body of work, and any single play could have changed the complexion of the game. You just looked at the most obvious. Sure. So I think that other than Facebook, instant replay is the bane of the United States of America. I'm going to explain myself. Well, I'll explain myself. We have it. We have instant replay, so we need to use it. It's sort of like Thanksgiving dinner. There's all this food. You're certainly not hungry at this point, but you continue to eat it because it's there. Now we have, we don't just have instant replay. We have instant replay from 16 separate angles in high definition. We have a this really cool, uh, is it a Microsoft device on the sideline with a hood that the ref gets to go over and look into at the 16 different angles. And since we have the tool, we want to use it. Like you, you, you uh, the phrase, uh, if, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So my, yeah, so you can look at anything and find what you want out of it. In, um, you know, whether or not the ball hit the grass or not, you can actually tell. So my question is, why don't we just get rid of the rest? Because you can put 100 cameras out there and you could adjudicate the game remotely. One yeah, guy God knows they well. can afford it. Yeah. 16 guys in a booth in New York can just do that, and he'll be per- it'll be perfect. And it probably won't even delay the game that much. Yeah, that's a good point. And like I said, it, it, it doesn't just come down to one play, but I don't know, in a, in, a, in a game like that, really a classic game, that's one for the ages, with two legendary quarterback going at it with so much on the line. Basically a playoff game, almost for all intents and purposes. Um, that it, it did come down to one play. And <laughs> it's kind of a cop-out, I know, because you can make the argument that they had their chances to win it earlier, but... But and you had the I chance feel to like win they it also won it there. But yeah, and and to me they executed that chance, and then the chance was taken away. So and then you had a chance on the on the interception at the end, or you could have kicked the if, if that. you had to just thrown the ball away, we could have had a field goal and been overtime. So if 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 I don't disagree, it's it's a horrible way to end a game on a technicality. Yeah, absolutely. And I get, the last thing we'll say to wrap this thing up is to me. It's such a sour taste, and, and it sounds like we're we're looking at it just as total homers as Steelers fans, but I think we all remember thinking the same way when the Seahawks won the game against the, the Packers, when the Packers clearly intercepted the ball and they called it a Seahawks win, when everybody knew that that was wrong. The Des Bryant catch, I mean, that's a little different, I guess, but the Des Bryant catch was the identical situation. Nobody likes it. It's outrage across the country, and especially to like, this to me... It's been a weird year for football with the political stuff, the CTE, the domestic violence, and all the black marks on the NFL, and the fact that the ratings have gone down. Now, obviously, it's still the most popular sport in America, but there's things where you see the NBA is kind of the golden standard league right now where that league is – it doesn't make as much money because the NFL is a juggernaut, but it's getting there, and it's becoming the choice for – you know, kids are starting to look up to these basketball stars much more than the football guys like they used to. And this to me is another reason why the NFL is just hurting football as a game. Because what a stupid way to end a game where you have unbelievable legendary players making huge plays. The Steelers come back, one team, they make, they score drama. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And then you re- you review the thing. Sure. But you know what? The same thing would happen on uh, human error. 
I mean, a game could teeter at the end on just a blown play. I mean, replay has. Of, I think we're talking course. about the rule. You're talking about the rule, I guess. But I think on any no. play, a bad call can be made. Listen, we want to get the right call, and and you know, it sounds like just being too much of a homer saying I don't want them to review things, but just something like that where there's a great finish to a game, and then you take four and a half minutes to replay something and make a call that nobody on the earth understands, or even if we understand the rule, nobody agrees with it except for the the fans of the team who won. Like this situation has been bobbled over and over again. Never has the audience, the, the national audience, thought. Oh, well, I'm glad they made that call right. Every time we all make the joke, like, nobody knows what a catch is anymore. So it's just a clunky, anticlimactic way to end something that was really great, especially when you didn't have conclusive evidence. Let's move into the themes of the game. Three major themes. Theme one, the offense and the defense rose to the occasion. We did fully expect to get eviscerated by Tom Brady and company. And uh, although they scored a lot, probably more than we allowed all season, um, they, we, we did hold them below 30 points and, uh, we were able to move the ball ourselves. Yeah. And not more than we, than we allowed all season because the lowly Ravens hung 38 on us the week before. So we all came in here thinking there's no way the Patriots are going under 40. So I wanted to make the first theme offense couldn't finish, but uh, honestly, their last three possessions were punt, punt, and then the interception. But I think that you had to draw an asterisk at that because, in my opinion, the offense did their job and once again made a photo finish in the final seconds. So I think the offense actually did a pretty good job. Obviously, things got a little wonky after the weird call there and, and Ben made made a bad play there. But I do think overall we we saw some really impressive things from the offense and from the defense that we hadn't seen before. So let's move on to theme number two is an obvious one. Theme two is the Antonio Brown injury changed the complexion of the whole game. So you can take this as a positive to see how well the Steelers played without a B the one of the top five best players in the NFL. And you still did this against the Patriots, but that was significant. I mean, look what Gronk, look what their version of a B their, their steroid Hulk version of a B looked like. Uh, on the other side, what he did for them. Well, once AB goes out, it's not that you just lose your like biggest offensive producer, but the Patriots get to change their whole scheme because they don't have to double this guy the whole time anymore. So that changed the complexion. you got to think AB would have made a difference in that game. But a positive from that was other guys really rose to the occasion. The other receivers had a good game. Probably more on that later. Theme number three, Gronk takes over. He is the Shaquille O'Neal of the NFL. He was Anil. like, what? Shaquille O'Neal? Yeah, what did I say? No, I just I thought it sounded like O'Neal instead of O'Neal. He's Irish. I know that. Shaquille O'Neal. Sean McGordo. But anyway, he was a man among boys. And it wasn't just a man among Sean Davis boy. He he just, he dwarfed them. I, I'm curious. It was, a, it was a funny that they underutilized him in the first half. He had, what, 33 yards in the first half? And then somebody said, hey, wait a second, Gronk's back. And somebody said, he is, that's right, we forgot about him. And then he goes oh, on yeah. to get 135 yards in the second half. It was um, it was just, Sean Davis was flailing like a middle schooler against a high school senior or maybe even an NFL uh, tight end so tight end so maybe one of the best nfl tight ends ever against a high yeah. school quality in fact yeah so there were some schematic problems with that obviously they just let him dominate like that if, if ab had done that to someone you know we'd be giving him credit for the things he did so you can't deny it. man gronk is is uncoverable but you got to do something to stop the bleeding but superstar for their team he was the difference in this game Okay, so we want to do another kind of uh, different new type of segment just based off of all the narratives for this game because in certain ways this game means a lot. And I think some Steelers fans are worried going forward, but it, it may not be as bad as people are feeling just because of the emotional damage that was inflicted upon us. But I will be the first person to say this, and I've talked about it all podcasts, the fact that I'm glad that we got to wait to do this, but I can't help it. I go along the emotional roller coaster. It just takes me for a ride 
It takes me about a day or two to get past the emotional part to be able to talk about the game in an intelligent way where you actually see what happens. But You're like a debilitated mental patient. I have to hang up with you after the the game because we we get nowhere. Yes, this is true. And this is why I got to let you know, Steelers Nation, that I'm with you. I have a problem. That's why we're here exercising these demons. But the problem, I'll take it any day of the week because when it works, damn, it's beautiful. It's love. And that's why we're fans here. But let me tell you, there was some doom and gloom. Not just because of the loss and yet another loss to the Patriots, but because it was a loss in which we lost Antonio Brown. And every time we play these guys, there's a curse. There's a killer bee who's out of here. But let me put it this way. Overreaching implications. I definitely think that the Steelers can stay in Super Bowl contention for another year or maybe two after this one. But my brain is telling me that this might be their last year in the window, just based off of Ben's career, how much time he has left. Yes, I think he'll play hopefully another couple years after this, at least another one. But, you know, they might not be able to keep uh, Le'Veon Bell after this year. You're probably not going to have Ryan Shazier. So in my opinion, you're losing your best offensive player and your best defensive player. So it just felt so heavy during that game. We lost a B. We don't know if he's going to be back for the playoffs or not. Did we? Did the whole window just close and collapse? And did it have to collapse against the freaking Patriots? So it there was serious depression. But there's good news coming out. It looks like A.B. hopefully is going to be playing for the playoffs. And this thing isn't anywhere close to being over, especially when you look at this game after the, after, after the fact. Because the Steelers played very well. Now, here's what we got to do going forward. Number one, Steelers got to secure the bye. Got to win out against Houston Cleveland. This is very doable. Number two, the Super Bowl hopes do hinge on A.B., if you can secure that buy, you give him extra time to get ready. Hopefully, you can get him back in the lineup because without AB, I don't I don't love the Super Bowl chances. You got to be honest. This is an offensive team. You need to rain down fireworks from the sky and from hell on every side to beat these teams because Sean Davis is not going to stop anyone, even if Blake Bortles is throwing. We need Antonio Brown scoring touchdowns. We need Ben and Le'Veon to stay on fire because those guys are rolling like a night train. America right now if you got the killer bees rolling like they're rolling you got a great chance at the Super Bowl still but we're waiting for the word on a B okay so the Germans Pearl Pearl Harbor he's on a roll forget it he's rolling next probable rematch with the Jacksonville Jaguars in Pittsburgh for the divisional let's assume that they went out let's assume the steel man get the buy get to the divisional Jaguars a lot of people don't know this this is a historically good defense they're incredibly talented, and they're going towards one stat right now. I think they might be the first team in NFL history to lead in like points, yards, and scoring defense all in the same year or something like that. But they're incredible. Obviously, they shellacked Pittsburgh in the first matchup. They're one of the only teams, if if not the only team, maybe the Vikings, with the actual talent to match up with Pittsburgh. So that's a tough one. But listen, I'll take Pittsburgh at home. We're not going to go down twice to them. Our offense is leaps and bounds better than the dumpster fire it was during that time. So you got to take care of business. And then the next thing is you'll probably have to go to Foxborough and play the Patriots, who we now realize are not unbeatable. Now, some people think that this game, another loss to the Patriots, could crush your morale. But I think that the Steelers were more energized. All the reports were saying after the game, the Steelers were angry in that locker room and they were chomping at the bit to get another chance at them. Yes, it will be more difficult next time. You got to play at New England and they're going to have a totally different game plan. It's very hard to beat the Patriots twice because I feel like they sort of beat them this time. We hope that the Steelers coaches are up to the task. But if you have the killer bees intact, I think you can outscore anybody. This dance ain't over. My conjecture is that Sean Davis is not the answer, and he was placed there intentionally. This game was thrown to throw the oh, Patriots off. Can. Who cares about this game? Wouldn't it be more delicious to beat the Patriots in Foxborough? So there is a defensive schema at hand we, that has not yet been revealed. might get actual tears. There could be crying involved, and that would not only be joyous because we go to the Super Bowl, but just to – I don't know what I'd be more happy about. Us going to the Super Bowl or them losing and not going to the Super Bowl and just being depressed and sad for a whole year. You're turning That'll into be an angry Jets fan. Let's not do that. Let's stay positive. Yeah, we can't go angry. You're right. You're right. You're right. Anyways, the Steelers, 
they're a different team this year. Let's hope that they can get healthy. I think Joe Hayden will make a difference. Hopefully he can come back, take care of business the next two weeks, and we move on. Okay, so we're going to get back to your regularly scheduled programming here with our next segments. We'll probably roll through the grades a little faster than usual. But first, let's get to our five pivotal plays. Five pivotal plays. Well, the first pivotal play is Sean Davis's dropped interception. It was set up by a beautiful deflection by Cam Hayward, who, by the way, was rushing up the middle of the entire game. The ball was imminently catchable. It was not caught. That was the turning point of the game. Even more so, in my opinion, than the Jesse James overturned touchdown. Yeah, if he catches that, the game's over. It was a tipped ball. I know it was sort of tricky. If you were in middle school, I would say, like, oh, maybe next time. But you're an NFL player. Uh, you should catch it. It's in the middle of both your hands. Sean Davis has had a brutal couple weeks. Let's hope he mentally responds. Pivotal play number two. It's a very subtle play that occurred in the game, but it's where the Steelers got cheated out of a glorious victory against the Patriots because Jesse James wouldn't hold the ball tightly in his hands in the end zone. And Jesse James, touchdown, gets overturned. I wouldn't hand a baby to him. Look at that. No. Baby at home. No. High and tight, man. Pivotal play number three, the Gronkowski two-point conversion. Yes. I sat in front of that replay six, seven times. He didn't change. He didn't even fake to the inside. He just bent his <laughs> left knee and Sean bit on it, threw his hands out and sort of did a, oh, oh well, God. we're going to have to cut the uh, ensuing comment. But he was flailing and Gronkowski took two steps to the right, turned around, had the ball thrown up 10 feet in the air, reached his arms up to 11 feet, caught the ball and converted <laughs> it down. Yeah, that uh, I can't even blame Sean Davis there. You got to blame... Butler, who loves to do this every time we play Gronkowski. Remember that season opener a year or two ago, two years ago, where Gronk scored two touchdowns where nobody was on him? Keith Butler is very innovative. He's been setting them up for two or three years now when eventually in a game we'll actually put people on him to cover him or maybe more than one person, which could be advisable because as bad as Sean Davis is, I don't think I would trust him. Uh, you know, guarding Gronkowski one-on-one -on -one in the end zone. That was ridiculous. Also, keep in mind, if they didn't get that two-point conversion, the Steelers could have gone down and kicked a field goal to win the game. There would have been no pass to Jesse at all. You would have got down there. I know this is all, you know, what should have, would have, could have, but it changes the strategy what the Steelers are doing. Steelers wouldn't have, uh, they just would have had to kick a field goal to win the game. So that was a huge play. Pivotal play number four. I just call this one Gronk 30-yarders. Pick one. Any of the of the 25-yard-plus catches that Gronk had on the Gronk drive, the aforementioned Gronk drive that won them the game. Uh, if Just stop one of those. I understand if they get one or two, but to let them go down the field in one minute or just a bunch of those passes, that's, that's brutal, especially since he was in – In a yeah. row. He, it took – Let's let's give credit to Juju. It took him one play to get 69 yards. It did take Gronkowski <laughs> three plays to get 69 yards. So by that logic, as we know, of course, the transitive property says Juju is way better than Gronk. But we can all agree on that. Now let's go to pivotal play number five. Speaking of Juju, this isn't his fault, but Juju going uh, short of the sticks on third down on the Steelers' penultimate drive. Second to last drive. This is where the Steelers kind of blew the game, in my opinion. All they had to do was get probably like two first downs that could have ground out the entire clock. Ben hits Juju on a slant route. The Patriots actually did a nice job swarming to the ball. Juju went full Super Saiyan, bull in a china shop, tried to chuck these guys off of him, but they, they swarmed him uh, quite violently and kept him short of the sticks. And not only do we not waste any clock, but we went – three and out and we let the Patriots have the Gronk drive after that. So those are our five pivotal plays. We're going to move on to the offensive grades. Offensive grades. So the offense, 413 total yards, 270 passing, 143 rushing. We were 10 for 16 on third down conversions and three for three for four in the red zone. I'd, uh, you know, on the good side of the ledger, we scored touchdowns rather than field goals. We, uh, ben and Le'Veon, as we pointed out before, were excellent. I will put on on the bad side of the ledger. We had nine possessions. Five of those 
we were out before we had after for with five or fewer plays. One of them, of course, was a touchdown because we, off of the interception when we got the ball on the New England twenty-two. But right. three, four times, um, four and out, three and out. Yeah, that, well, so that wasn't the last, like, last week those, was prolific. The last one of those should have been a touchdown drive. I mean, at worst case, it would have been a field goal drive, field goal. You know, if it wasn't such a wonky situation. So I looked at the same thing too and said, well, we actually didn't score on the same amount of like the same percentage of possessions. But I think that that last one really throws it off. Obviously, it ends on a negative standpoint with the Steelers not able to close out the game, not even on that last possession, but on, on the two possessions prior were the really frustrating parts, particularly that penultimate possession. That's where I knew, and I think a lot of Steelers Nation should know if you're playing against the Patriots. This is where the Steelers win the game. It's not with a defensive stop. If they can wind the clock out here, they can win it. But if they give the ball back to Brady with really any time left on the clock, they're doomed. So they failed in that moment. And I wanted to say that they weren't able to close out the game. But to me, they did the same thing that they did. Who was it? The Colts with the well, the, the Packers. They just made another brilliant sub one-minute drive. Uh, I mean, basically one play to Juju, one play to Jesse. Like I said, it's a little wonky after the fact, but they didn't score on those two prior possessions. I feel like they did their job, um, although you can't excuse Ben's interception on the end there. But overall, man, they were impressive, and Ben had a good day. But uh, that's the end, right? So offense actually gets a grade of A. So moving on to Ben, Ben was 22 for 30, 73% completion rate, 281 yards, two touchdowns with an interception, a very a critical interception. He uh, sacked twice. He, again, he has he continued the streak of accuracy. He's throwing on a rope. He's putting the ball into tight windows. And he's changing the course of the game through some huge plays. He, he He's doing sort of what A.B. was doing earlier in the year. Just when you think he has his best game, he tops it. He has 500 yards last week. I thought that this week he was almost even better. So accurate. He didn't make a bad throw all game. He had – and. <laughs> He didn't make a bad throw all game until the ill-advised slant into quintuple coverage to Eli at the very end. But Ben has been excellent in the past few games, particularly on third down. This third down offense has been so impressive. To, to go 62% on third down against the Patriots, that's incredibly impressive. And then obviously went three for four in the red zone. I'm putting a, an asterisk after that one because obviously the one we missed was the, was the controversial play. Terrible decision on that last play by Ben, but overall really – controlled the game and played awesome in the biggest and brightest of lights, you know? So Ben gets a grade of A. So Le'Veon had 24 carries for 117 yards, five receptions for 48 yards, and one rushing touchdown. So many yards after contact. You can't bring him down on first contact, usually even not after second contact. Turns a, turns a number of losses into gains. So, um... This offense would be nothing without Le'Veon Bell. He's Honestly, even jewel. if you still had if you still had A B and Ben, you're gonna have a Pull decent offense. Pull them all. Ben, pay him all the money. Honestly. There you you some people can be replaced uh with production as far as the running back position goes, but I don't even think people realize how, how valuable Le'Veon Bell is. And people a lot of people know how valuable he is. I mean, he got number one in the fan voting for the Pro Bowl just recently. But I don't even think people see the small plays that he makes. There were a number of plays that should have been one or two yard losses that he turned into no gain or one or two yard plays. And those make huge difference But uh, in the game, in addition to the obvious big plays that he makes. Le'Veon Bell, unbelievable talent. Let's keep him healthy throughout the course of the postseason because James Conner is now going to be lost for the season. Fitzgerald Toussaint, a.k.a. the fumbler, will get some more opportunities. I joke about the fumble, but I do think he's a capable back. Um, we're going to need to keep Le'Veon healthy because as long as you still have him going, you still got a great chance at the Super Bowl. Le'Veon gets a grade of A+. Plus. A+. Plus. So uh, let's moment of silence for Antonio Brown, who we normally rate here. Um, two receptions, 24 yards, enough receptions to get him the record for 100-yard uh, receipt. Yeah, consecutive 100 reception seasons. Yeah, with five. Sucks. He's going to lose his receiving title. You know, because he missed his last game and he, he missed out on a receiving title as well the other year when, when he didn't play against the Browns because we already have the playoffs uh, spot looked up, locked up. Let us pray to the football gods 
for his health. All Let's right. Give him an A plus. We're giving him an A plus. Great job, AB. You looked good out there. Rest Even in the agony, he still had the best smile on the field. A plus. The rest of the wide receivers, 12 receptions for 194 yards. Juju, six receptions for 114 with a classic, frameable, suitable for framing, 69-yard uh, reception. The ball flew above, what, five yards in the air, and he Not took even. the rest of the way. He caught it like on the line of scrimmage and just weaved his way in and out. It was shades of the Detroit game, except he didn't finish off the play, but you can't blame him. He'd been running finish hard the Juju. whole game. Big play, Juju. Marty! Finally, a good game from Marty. He didn't breach the 100-yard mark, but he made a couple great third-down conversions and then two huge plays. Awesome dive laying out, uh, laying out for the catch on third and seven in the first half, and then the glorious one-handed touchdown catch where he was being like uh, Gilmore was like a chimpanzee hanging onto his other arm with all all of his ex extremities, and they didn't feel the need to call that penalty. But we need to keep seeing him just make those big plays. That's what we need from Marty. And then Eli had the nice touchdown catch. I think that they acquitted themselves well, uh, especially with A.B. being out. We're going to give the wide receivers a grade of A. Just refresh my memory. Was uh, Juju had that that tightrope along the sideline again. Wasn't that – did he do that last game? That was Le'Veon two games ah, ago against sorry. the Bengals. Yeah, such See, a so weird – It must be a thing. drill that, that the Steelers do. So moving yeah, on to the offensive line – Again, we had 143 yards rushing, 4.6-yard clip we uh, allowed two sacks. So the 4.6 yards per rush compares favorably with our season average of 3.7. Um, ben had a lot of time. He did get swamped a couple of times. Sometimes that might be, uh, that might be on Ben. He just hangs in there a little longer than usual. But uh, we are disappointed at the penalty. DeCastro again with a, another holding penalty. Yeah, and, and Alejandro Villanueva. They did a good job. The rushing average is good. They, they did some good things in that game. But Ben made some classic escapes. He turned back the clock to make some of those escapes. And the Patriots don't exactly have a great pass rush. I just need to see this O-line dominate a game like they did last year so consistently. They still haven't done it. I think that they were actually a little bit below par which for most other offensive lines in the NFL will be a great game, but we just expect a little bit more out of them. They still played all right. We're going to give them a grade of B+. Plus. The tight ends had three receptions for 15 yards. Kind of a disappointing week after uh, what we saw last week. Yeah. We had the potential game-winning touchdown reception, of course, that was turned back, but the lack of production um, really didn't warrant a high grade here. Yeah, we're just going to go ahead and give these guys a grade of C+. Plus. So let's move into the coaches' grades. Coaches. So Mike Tomlin looks like they belong with the Patriots. They, they, had, a, they had a winning game plan, and uh, I think talent-wise, except for uh, the exception of one, uh, matched up as well or better than the Patriots. Yeah, you would have loved to have A.B. in there so you could have – each side could have a transcendent talent, but I guess we still had Le'Veon and you know Brady and Ben cancel each other out. I, I think Mike did a great job. There were some administrative failures at the end, particularly glaringly with the mishandling of the two plays after Jesse's overturned touchdown. The confusion before that – Fake spike. It wasn't a fake spike, by the way. He didn't fake the spike. Just nobody else moved because you couldn't tell if he was going to clock it or not. But I, a lot of people have talked about this all week. The fact that you don't have a contingency play called after, like previously, to the DHB catch uh, inbounds, it, it's inexcusable. You had a freaking hour while they re rewound that play for Jesse James to decide on, hey, if we don't get this here, get up to the line and run this other play. There was still like 12, 13 seconds left. You had plenty of time. No excuse for that. Sent out one wide receiver on six defensive backs. That was the glaring mistake. But to me, I, I think that Tomlin may have turned this culture around of losing to the Patriots. Obviously, we won't know until we get him again, but I, I did think he prepared the team well, and they did some things that we hadn't seen them do all season. So Mike Tomlin gets a grade of A. Todd Haley also had a nice game plan. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of variety in the play calling. Patient, successful with the run game, and uh, was pretty creative, I thought. Yeah, two weeks in a row. He was really creative against the Ravens. I, a, a good way to tell about how creative a coordinator is is – 
first off, if you just recognize the same plays over and over again and you see some new ones that you've never seen before. Tony Romo was drooling over this Le'Veon Bell play that they put in this week where he runs a wheel route out of the backfield. So that basically means he's next to Ben and he just kind of loops around and runs like straight. He would run straight down the sideline. This time he would loop around, run straight, and right when the linebacker turned his hips thinking, oh man, here goes Le'Veon Bell going long, he would just stop and leave him in the dust. They ran that for two conversions. You see people catching the ball all over the field. Like like you just said, he was balanced. He was he, he did a great job mixing the run in the pass, not getting too far away from the run. Um he I thought that he had a really good game. I saw some new plays from him. Now, a lot of people are complaining about the conservative nature of the offense. There was a second and 23 with nine minute under nine minutes left where he did a draw to Fitzgerald Toussaint out of all players. That seemed a little bit weird. And uh, when you came out on the penultimate drive, he started with the run. Romo was saying you should put that in the hands of Ben. We would love to see a play action there. But, hey, the run was working. So I thought that he actually had a pretty good game. Uh, also, he gets docked for the mishandling of the two plays after the Jesse uh, incident. But overall, Todd Haley gets a grade of A. We really struggled with grading Keith Butler. Uh, statistically, it was a mixed bag. Um, we let the we let the uh, Ravens, the Patriots, score more than their season average. We gave up more yards for the game, 360 versus. Actually, we held them pretty pretty well in check. They have uh, averaged 375 yards. We gave them 360, but uh, 290 yards passing. So, but the but the fact is, if if throwing out the statistics, we just anticipated getting eviscerated by the passing game. And it turned out not to be we, – we thought for sure that Brady would have over 30 points in this game. Yeah, the way that the game ended leaves such a terrible, nasty taste in your mouth because the Patriots didn't just go on a game-winning drive. They just went on a game-winning stroll. It was a minute long to basically an uncovered Gronk the whole time. By the way, if you're putting one person on Gronk, unless that's like Earl Thomas or Cam Chancellor or something like that, and even then, you still need help. If you're putting one person on Gronk, that means he's uncovered. And that's negligence on the defensive coordinator's part. If they had gone all the way down the field and, and just made amazing play after amazing play, I could understand that. But they just buckled so hard in the final minutes. But overall, they, they did enough to win. The offense is expected to score over 30. We said before this game, our key to this game is if the Steelers don't score over 30, they'll, they'll lose, and they did. So Keith Butler's a mixed bag. We'll give him a grade of C. C. Defensive grade. Defense, as as noted, uh, gave up 298 yards in the air, but held held the Patriots to 77 yards uh, rushing with 4.1 yards per attempt. Third down conversion was under the uh, Patriots average, which is for the year 39%. We held them to 33%. So I really like the uh, the fact that there was only one rushing play for over 10 yards, although we did get gashed on five plays for over 20 yards in the air. Yeah, those statistics are really telling because when you come out of this game, you just feel like you got sliced up on defense, but... If you were watching it live, I remember thinking like, hey, they're, they're sort of keeping us in this game. And now if you look at those statistics, they actually did a, a pretty decent job. Just really blew it at the end there. But overall, they did okay. We're going to give them a grade of B-. minus. Defensive line had five tackles, one sack, five quarterback hits, a tackle for loss, and one pass defended. The um, air sacks... Uh, interception Sean Davis didn't uh, materialize. So there was actually good pressure up the middle as evidenced by the sack and the quarterback hits. Um, I would say that, you know, Brady has a, has a really quick release. I'd like to look at the next gen stats to see where he ranks, but he seemed to be getting the ball out really quickly. Yeah. That's why everybody says, if you want to beat the Patriots, which the Steelers sort of did, almost did, should have done you got to get pressure with that defensive line. And those guys stepped up. Cam's been playing well all year, but I thought Hargrave and Tuit showed up a little bit better than usual. We'll give them a grade of A. Inside linebackers, it's a little hard to grade this one. Uh, they're gonna We're going to grade them up simply because of the interception that led to a touchdown. They had seven tackles, the interception, one pass, pass defended. But again, there were... There were nine rushes of over five yards that were given up, and a lot of that was off tackle. So between the the linebackers, I I, I would pin the responsibility there. 
Yeah, there are still some real struggles there. Mikatovich actually ended up playing in this game, just not on defense. He played like 17 special team snaps or something like that. So hopefully he can come back and be the starter next week. You're not getting Ryan Shazier back, but hopefully he's a little bit more solid than the Sean Spence experiment, which I'm not sure why that's still going on. But that's, I mean, that's a weak point of the defense for sure. They get a grade of C+. The outside linebackers had four tackles, a sack, a quarterback hit, and two tackles, for loss. That was, this is Bud Dupree's breakout game. Yeah, he did a good job. Again, it was sort of another unblocked sack, but I thought that he was a little more involved. A crazy stat is he played like a little bit more than half the time. They actually took him a lot, took him off a lot for Javon Hargrave was in there a ton, which is cool. We we forgot to mention this with with Keith Keith Butler earlier. One thing that I liked about his game plan is that he did some stuff we've never seen before. And they said last year since the championship, we're gonna play more man next time we play them. That's gonna be part of our team this year. And they hadn't done it all year. They played more zone than any other team in the NFL. Tom Brady even said this year they're not going to change their defense in week 15. Well, guess what? They did, and they actually did okay with with man-to-man. I know we're kind of moving into uh, moving away from the outside linebacker territory here, but I think the creative use of Bud um, was evident, and I think that TJ got close to the quarterback a couple times, um, didn't quite get there, but th- they played all right. We're going to give them a grade of B. Cornerbacks had 15 tackles and three passes defended. I thought Mike Hilton, who I originally thought when we started talking last night after the game was non-existent, actually, upon second reflection, really had some nice passes defended. The one uh, where he stopped Hollister in the end zone. Uh There's a little bit of controversy, and I'm going to go back and look at it, but I thought he did get his hand on the ball when the the, uh, pass went to Gronkowski from the four-yard line. Yeah, it was hard to tell. Romo was saying it looked like a drop. It looked like it hit Gronk. Who's Tony Harris. Romo? Tony Romo is the greatest announcer on television now That's outside good. of Chris Collinsworth. No, Romo is great. He, it's really enjoyable having him call those games. Um, he called out that fade to Gronk uh, on the two-point conversion. But in all fairness, all of America called that out. I was screaming at that point. But – the corners, I actually thought they did okay. I mean, Artie, of course, let up his traditional 50-yard pass, and he had a good 30-yard pass interference. But Tom tried to pick on him like four plays in a row at one point, and he acquitted himself well uh, guarding Brandon Cooks and um, even guarding Gronk one time. So they did an okay job. I, I was impressed that they were able to to hold their own playing man-to-man. I think Tom was pressured into throwing off time a couple of times, so they benefited from that. But hey. They, they stayed in there and they fought, but no one's confusing them for world beaters. Hopefully we get uh, Joe Hayden back soon. They get a grade of C+. Plus. Moving into the safeties. Uh, do we have to? We do. Do we have to? Okay. 15 tackles, one pass defended. The more interesting to statistic is this. 6'6", six 265 six, pounds versus 6'1", six foot six foot 202 pounds. This is the uh, mismatch that we had to endure all game. Again, Gronkowski gaining 33 yards in the first half, 135 in the second half. This was just a, a ill-conceived game plan. Well, it sucks twofold that AB got injured because maybe we could have put him on Gronk. Uh, that seems like it would kind of match up with Keith Butler's measurables, what he thinks what we should do with Gronk. Listen, there's a certain amount – like Sean Davis has had a brutal two-game stretch. He's had a pretty down season as it is. It's kind of a cause of worry. We've been talking about Bud Dupree and how he's not panning out and Artie, how he's had his struggles, and, and Sean Davis has taken his sweet time too. Um, you can't blame him for all those passes to Gronk. He shouldn't be put in that situation. But then again, Gronk, who's a first ballot Hall of Fame tight end, the best tight end in NFL history, he had his best game ever against us. So – it's a pretty bad job. I, I do think a lot of that's the scheming, but Sean Davis also dropping that interception. He had a chance to redeem himself and couldn't even make that play. It's another weakness on the defense. Safeties get a grade of D. So that wraps it up. Those are our grades. Um, feel a little better. I feel a little, this was a little cathartic for us. How do you feel? Yeah, right? I feel a little better. I'm a little out of breath, but uh, listen, all hope is not lost, everybody. It's going to be probably even harder going into Foxborough to do this, but if you get A-B with you, and, you know, I don't know. I think that this team has a different swagger about them. There is no moral victory here. 
the road to the Super Bowl definitely got more difficult. But at the same time, you showed them that. I think the Steelers were, you know, they were the better team. And and in some ways, so the, the Patriots were right there with them. But at least you know that it's it's really neck and neck. I think that you got a, a better shot at the Patriots this year than in prior years. And hopefully the Steelers get the ball rolling with some anger next week against the Texans. Clinch that bye by winning against the Browns the next week and get A.B. healthy and get the B's buzzing back into the playoffs. So your Christmas present is hopefully a victory over the Texans on December 25th, 4.30 Eastern Standard Time. Yes, sir. And I think that the Steelers will take care of business there. Well, let's hope so, because we don't want to take anything for granted at this point. Every win matters. Um, and hopefully, and we, wow, New Year's Eve, last game against the Brownies. Hey, be, these Steelers players, yeah, these guys can't get a break. Thanksgiving and Christmas last year, and now you get Christmas and New Year's Eve. At least we're entertained. And that's what's really important, right? Well, thank you again for joining us. And we, again, sound, I sound like a broken record. We'd love to get some feedback. We have broken the 13 podcast plateau, so we are here to stay, people. So help us improve. You can hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Look at the website, SteelersOutpost.com, or shoot an email, SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. All right, everybody, here we go, Steelers. Okay, bye bye. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.